Oh, good evening, everybody, Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm Stuart Corbridge. I'm one of the pro directors here at the London School of Economics. It's a great pleasure to welcome you to the school for tonight's talk on environmental diplomacy by Dr. Rene Castro, the Foreign Minister of Costa Rica. Uh, Rene is going to speak for about 40 minutes and then we'll have a question and answers. If you could now turn off mobile phones or anything irritating, that would be very helpful. Uh, Rene Castro first trained as a civil engineer at the University of Costa Rica in the 1970s and later gained his MPA and PhD degrees from Harvard University where his work concentrated even then on natural resource economics and sustainable development. Like several of his counterparts in Costa Rica, Dr. Castro has long combined academic work and political work. Academically, René has worked mainly at the Incai Business School in Arabuela, where he is still a full professor, and his published books, amongst other things, deal with project analysis, environmental impact assessment, and climate change. Uh, René's lectured widely around the world, for example, at Harvard, Yale, and Columbia in the United States, and at ETH in Zurich, Switzerland. Politically, Dr. Castro has served as the president of the San Jose Municipal Council, and he was Minister of Environment and Energy in Costa Rica from 1994 to 1998, during the administration of President Jose Maria Figueres. Uh, more recently, René returned to government in May of last year as the Minister of Foreign Affairs in the administration of Costa Rica's first female president, Laura Chinchilla. During his various terms in office, René has led Costa Rica's delegations to the Biodiversity, Ozone and Climate Change Conventions, and he also negotiated Costa Rica's Debt for Nature swaps with Spain and Canada. Now, Costa Rica, as many of you will know, is an unusual country in many respects. It's had no army since 1948. A previous president, Oscar Arias, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1987 uh, for his work in brokering the Central American Peace Accords, and the country has long enjoyed gender equity and human development scores that are far more favourable than simple GDP per capita figures would lead us to expect. Uh, in recent years, too, Costa Rica has been leading the way, not least when it was a UN Security Council member, in trying to mainstream environmental issues into international diplomacy. Uh, along with Norway, Bhutan and a number of other countries, Costa Rica aims to be one of the first carbon-neutral countries in the world. Now, obviously, none of that is easy, and Costa Rica is hardly immune to climate change problems uh, that have been caused, we might guess, very largely by some of its more powerful neighbours, including perhaps the United States. I'm trying to be diplomatic, Rene, here. Um, agitating for a greener world, as we know, is no easy matter. And I'm sure that we're all extremely delighted that Dr. René Castro is with us tonight at the LSE to tell us more about the problems and the pitfalls of environmental diplomacy. René, well, we're delighted to have you with us and we look forward to what you have to say. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I will speak in this you know, the most popular language in the world today, you know, bad English. <laughs> and secondly, it's, it's always good to have a, a friend to introduce you. 
and you know, and, and say so many things. I'm not used to that anymore. You know, by reading the media in Costa Rica, you get used to a different uh, environment. So thank you, uh, Stuart. I would try to do three things. One, a brief theoretical explanation of what I think is the evolution of what we call now eco-diplomacy or eco-diplomacy. And then I will discuss a bit of the influence you know, it, 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 it is having in, in the, at the company level. <laughs> and then I will move towards some of the examples in, to my country, the good and bad things we, we are facing these days. And I will then you know, propose some conclusions and open the, the, the floor for questions and, and, and discussions. Let me see if I learn how to use this. Yeah. yeah. So the first of all, the title, you know, critical for Costa Rica's sustainable competitiveness. And this is important to keep in mind. It's not only for altruistic purposes. We think this will add com competitiveness to the Costa Rican economy and society, and I will try to, to explain it through my examples. I, I picked two of, the, of many different responses, but probably, you know, focusing on the problems, then we say very important environmental problems with, which transgress our national boundaries, require international environmental cooperation. In other words, eco-diplomacy. You can you know, probably you can talk from the opportunities perspective. Some of them will be scaled, and I will talk about that in, in one of the examples. That will also ask for eco-diplomacy. And then I, most of the literature will, will mention five, I added two that are similar to the original ones five distinguishing factors. First of all, the nature of the subject matter. <coughs> we are going from a global economy to an interdependent economy. So it is more important what is happening at, at the global atmosphere and the oceans. We know now that what had happened in the global economy. Because that, you know, the that there will be no survivability options for the countries unless we act together in terms of, for example, climate change. The role of science and scientists. You know, when I was minister of the environment, of the environment, I pledge, I, you know, I, I, I plead the, 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 the panel of intergovernmental science scientists, the, the two thousand of them to use less confusing, confusing language. You know, for example, they love to say, climate change is likely happening. And then they will add, well, you know, in the long term, you know, that will require 100 years or so for anything we do today to show impact. For politicians running every four years, that's impossible. 
Then the complexity of negotiations, local and multilateral, multilateral impacts. So we do things at the local level, like, like the fuel we use, like the waste system we use. And then somebody will come and tell you, you know, this is good because we benefit the environment for everybody. You know, 100 years from now, don't matter. And so the negotiation is at the same time, you know, with 150 or 190 countries, which actually 193 were present in Cancun, you know, last December. When we signed the, the Ozone Protocol in 1985, only 24 countries were the, the, <coughs> the ones signing. But, and then the, the, the equity problems, North versus South, we use that, we know that, you know, you are already developed, well, yes, but you are developing now, and if you do the way we did, the problem will be exacerbated. And then people will say, yes, but the problem is not only that. Rural versus urban areas. And in the rural areas, we're keeping the forests. In the urban, we're burning fuel. And <coughs> this is going to be for my grandchildren. I pay for it now for the sake of my, my grandchildren or the great-grandchildren. So it's a very complex set of issues. And then, you know, innovative features. Well, you know, if it is not difficult enough to talk about trade for normal goods and services, now we're talking about trade for environmental services. For example, we sold, and I'm going to show you about that, we sold in, back in 1997 the first 200,000 tons of CO2 certificates to Norway. What were we selling? Well, we said a service. So, yeah, <coughs> what kind of service? Well, that we are not going to emit CO2. Okay, so I have to pay for that. Are you cheaping the environment? The environmental scale to, to the table. And I added two, you know, one already I mentioned, large number of players. Uh, it's very intense. In, in, in Cancun, when I registered, I was the 20,000 something. And I was the head of my delegation. You know, of course, I followed the Latin rule, you know, do it at the very last time. <laughs> but it still was, a, was important. And seven, we're living in a fishbowl. There, there are no secrets. You know, everything you do, and this is terrible for diplomats. <laughs> I mean, they love to maneuver, you know, in, in behind the scene. They don't talk to the press, and now the press is, is live. You know, I'm trying to, to see if it is fair, or if it is, if you are conflicting with, with your pledges in the last campaign. And, you know, that they will be transmitting that live to your constituency. So I think this is um, uh, a very distinguishing you know, uh, characteristics. And I will try to discuss them a little bit through the examples, which I think is, is, is more, more interesting. And then the traditional priorities for a country, they were security and economics. Then around the 90s, we had the social and domestic issues. <coughs> Then I said something, something else, whatever, at, at the very <laughs> top, very, very, very bottom, the environment. That has changed. 
this idea of interdependency has changed the, the whole thing. So countries like mine and many others are talking now about these two concepts. You know, and, uh, back in 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, we, we came out with this idea of the, the three bottom line, you know, like, like any decision should combine economics, social, and ecological. You should analyze any project at the macro or company level through these three lenses, the economic, the social, and the environmental impact. Now, if you consider the companies, and, and this is very, you know, this is the idea of firms in, in a market, they form the, that market. So if this, if this is true for the national level, it should be true at the disaggregate level. Uh, some companies should show an equivalent for ecology, for example, the ISO, the life cycle analysis, these kind of things. For the economy, you know, the, the profit, the value of shares. For, for the equity, the wages, the consumer rights, the, the, the stakeholders. And this is what is called corporate social responsibility. I teach this side of the equation, and now I work in this other side of the equation. They in intertwine, and they are not necessarily the same. You know, for example, countries like like like, like richer, rich resource, rich in, in natural non-renewable resources like oil. Sometimes they do right in the macro level, and they have a disaster in the at the company level. And sometimes you go wrong. Countries do well at the company level, and they have a disaster at at the macro level. And so this this will guarantee you that there will be you know, an uprising if you are not taking care of the social issues or an environmental disaster if you don't, don't take care of the environmental issues. Or the country will have a, you know, 1,000 or actually 100,000% inflation like Zimbabwe today. 100,000% inflation, an economic disaster. So you need to balance this three. And in my MBA classes, we try to teach the guys that you have to balance them with equal weight. And this is very hard. You go, because MBAs, I mean, they come to, 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 to become rich. And that's okay, you know, but on the other hand, they have to be responsible with the environment and, and with the social responsibilities, and that's, that's not easy to do. Okay, this is, this is about it. Well, you can call these two together, ecology and economy, we, you can call it eco-efficiency. You know, and this is a fancy word since 1992. And these other, these other two, economy and equity, you can call them philanthropy. But only the three together, <coughs> you call them sustainable development or corporate social responsibility in, in, at, the, at, the company, at the company level. I think this is, this is it for theory. Well, I have some equations to show that I used to be an engineer, but <laughs> not any longer. So I have this question. Physical di diplomacy changing. 
both countries and firms strategies. I think so. And I will give you some examples and, and trying to say why. First of all, you have, you know, the, uh, a financial crisis. For example, here, you know, I, I'm, I am only showing inflation and oil prices. That's pressure on the system. But you also have a resources problem. They are saying that the, 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 the future wars will be about access to water or to land or to basic basic needs. So uh, the, the way we explain what is happening is this, the, the, I think it's funnel analogy. So you are feeling stress. In one side, the, the economy, the consumers are asking for price reductions, for better products, for better packaging, for more responsibility. On the other side, you are facing scarcity of water of oil, of global commons like the atmosphere. So from my perspective, companies and countries will have two options. One is do nothing, and they, in my mind, will crash eventually. Should self-impose a discipline go through the narrower part of the funnel and later on you know, be a dominant player in a market, in a new market with new conditions, could also be helped by the government to, you know, through regulations, through incentives, and adapt to, to that situation. So keeping in mind this, this analogy, for example, so for example, I, I think that this is a good example, the car industry. I was, I was in the US when they presented this, you know, with including cowboys and, and cows and everything in the middle of the streets. That was the, the, the favorite car of the US, you know, uh, I would say high income, you know, big boys, you know, and things like that. And that ugly little one, well, you know, we, we present it as a survival. You know, smaller, very efficient, just for two, you know. And they said for the things, you know that expression, don't you? Double income, no kids. <laughs> you know, that was a special card for, 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 for those guys. And then, in the US, it's critical the price of the used car to make the down payment of the new one and to run the car of the year. And 15 million of Americans did that every year. And then look what happened with the prices. The prices for the used car of the SUVs and pickups negative by 15 or 20 percent. The compact cars they even increase. So they had less money to put down 
and consequently this is the demand for cars. You know, they all fall except the, the little Honda. And I think they even, you know, this ugly hybrid, <laughs> they, they have some chance, you know, to, to survive. And three weeks ago, I was in Japan and Korea talking with all the car makers, convincing them, convincing them to include Costa Rica in the list of countries that will receive the first hybrid and electric cars. Because the installed capacity is not enough. So they have a windfall, the producers of hybrid and electric cars, and they didn't have the product in the market. The US car industry collapsed, and the other guys were not ready to keep in. So I think that the, car, the US car industry <coughs> crashed, and using the same analogy. <coughs> Another analogy is the cement industry. The cement industry is, is, is one of the largest CO2 emitters in the world. It's, it represents 5% of the total global emissions. 5%. This is huge. You know, the airline industry as a whole will be like 2%. You know, uh, and, and my country will be you know, like 100 times less than that. Tiny one. I think 5% probably UK is in that branch or something. The US is like 25% of the world, and China is like 20. This is the, the <laughs> but look what is happening with the three big players, Holcim, Semis, and Lafarge. Without global regulations, without, without the ne negotiations, negotiations succeeding. You know, without remember all the distinguishing factors, but see what is happening already. From 2005 to 2010, in the Holcim situation, they are reducing all the emissions. Cemex is reducing another emissions, depending on their location. And Lafarge, you know, they were doing better in some, worse in others, and also they are <coughs> competing to react to this change in the consumers and the regulatory and in the <coughs> environment availability. So my point is, these guys, they are trying to react. This is all the programs they have. They all have programs, volunteer programs. They all have health programs. They all have good neighbor programs, help uh, NGOs and things like that. All of them. I think they're trying to do this. They're trying to go through the funnel with self-imposed you know, conduct and, and, and negotiations, trying to avoid the government's, the government's intervention, trying to be ahead of what is going to happen in the climate change and, and, and the ozone and other negotiations, and, you know, and, 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 and tell the government there is no need for that. I was convinced that that was a very good strategy, but that was before BP, because you know BP convinced me that they were already doing what they had to do, and they showed me all the, the trade, the internal trading they were doing with CO2, that how green they will be, and then the disaster happened, and that was one of the you know well reputed 
or probably best reputed oil companies in the world. So, I would say pessimistic people in my country will say, no way. Self-regulation will never work. Unless the government push them, they will do only greenwashing. You know, this is, they say, greenwashing. They will stop as soon as something, you know, changes in the environment or if they feel there is no enough <coughs> uh, probability or the probability is low that they will be regulated, they will stop doing this. And they will say, you know, the situation changed, the, the circumstances are different, so I'm sorry, we have to stop to save jobs and these kind of things. Maybe they're right. Another example, now at the sectoral level, not at the company level, is electricity in my country. And Costa Rica decided that we will have 100% renewable electricity by 2021 because we want to be the first country in the world to be carbon neutral. And that is a critical part of it as well as the agribusiness, as well as the transportation sector. But this is very important. So people will tell you, yes, but that is costly. In order to have <coughs> renewables only, you, you will have to pay an extra cost. If you pay an extra cost, the, your industry will lose competitiveness. <coughs> your workers will lose jobs. And, and the companies will go abroad. Well, we think it's not true. And it's already happening. And this is, in the case of Costa Rica, is imposed by, by law and, and the local decision. But it's based also in, in this kind of forecast, you know. In, in the, these are scenarios from the International Energy Agency that try to, 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 to assess the oil dependency, dependency and climate change. As you can see that even two totally different scenarios you know, one with nuclear, you know, phasing out, another one with nuclear growing again, biomass in this case kicking in earlier. In the two scenarios, the dependency on oil would be very relevant. It's still in the 2100, so sorry, 2100. So a century from now, we will still be dependent on fossil fuels, coal mainly, then oil and then gas. So Mr. Chavez shouldn't be worrying Venezuela. You know. <laughs> yes. So Costa Rica decided that we will try to accelerate this, to accelerate this process of the renewables, you know, being a substantial part. And what we are doing now is the following. This is, this is the, the, the percentage of electricity and the timeline. Initially, we were only hydro. Due to climate change and other issues, we realized that it was not reliable to depend on the rain patterns because those will change that we need to diversify and increase the mix. But, you know, we have been trying your thermal energy and, and wind power, but using thermal, 
fossil fuel debate for peak hours. This is the last challenge, challenge we have. How can we replace even that reddish part on it that is used for the peak hours? Because that, that's very efficient. If you need, if there is a peak, then you turn on the, 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 the thermal generator. If it goes down, then you turn it off. So that's very cheap in terms of investment. What is very expensive is the fuel and the environmental consequences. Well, now we want to replace that with more modern sources of renewable energy. And as you know, marginal costs are always what? Here, you know, probably are economy, economic students and others always raising. Marginal costs are upward raising. So it would be far more expensive to replace those at the very <coughs> top than all the previous ones we have had. That's the challenge we have. That's what we will need more negotiations and cooperation. That's what, what additional money should come and, and kick in. That's what the, the, the Climate Change Convention will provide. You know, uh, new technology, new, new opportunities for, for, for this kind of things. And also, what we think is going to happen is that a small countries like us will be able to interconnect and reach larger markets like, like Mexico. This year, Central American countries will be interconnected for the first time with a reliable grid. But the, the interesting thing is that now we can sell clean energy to Mexico. For that, you need scale. Going back to the distinguishing factors. You need a scale. You need to share you know, efforts. It will be transboundary rivers. It will be you know, biomass growing from one country to another. It will be geothermal opportunities. You know, and, and selling and buying. You know, for example, Costa Rica, we have different uh, uh, hours. So when, when it is known in Costa Rica, already lunchtime passing Panama, so we can sell and buy you know, electricity or barter it and make it more, more efficient. So what we think is that green markets will expand traditional opportunities. At the end, that will increase Costa Rican Costa Rican opportunities and competitiveness. In the longer term, I hope, you know, machines like this, in addition to the Intel inside and Dell and other science will have a sign of green power in Costa Rica or CO2 neutral in Costa Rica. You know, that should be a little edge for, for the longer for the longer, longer term. <coughs> Oops. Well we think Costa Rica has tried to do that again with the funnel analogy. Self-imposed legislation, uh, plans, and programs, so you pass through the difficult constraints here and restrictions, you impose your own path, and then you know, green power <coughs> will be your brand when everybody else will be trying to you know, buy and sell CO2 emissions and reductions in the near future, because more more and more consumers and people will be claiming for it. 
And then I gave some company examples, some sectorial examples. Now I will show some sectorial examples with global impact. And moving to, toward that direction. We call this the Costa Rican forest striptease. You know, the country was totally covered by forests in the, in the forest. And we learned from the United States and Europe that it was easy to cut the trees and do things. You know, trees were cheap. You can build houses and, and, and furnitures and, you know, burn them and these kind of things. And all of the sudden, we went from 75% forest cover, you know, to 72, to 70, 53, and you know, less and less and less. It was almost, you know, we went from fully covered to almost, you know, a forest tanga. <laughs> so at, at that time, the government decided to intervene, and we introduced for 10 years. Subsidies and incentives, and that this this was the President Oscar Arias' first government. So they introduced subsidies for people they didn't know at that time, and they introduced equally subsidies for planting trees or preserving them. Then they realized that planting was more a monoculture, like pineapple or banana or any other agricultural activities. And preserving trees, first of all, was more important because they were natural trees. They were tropical trees, unique in many cases. But initially, they didn't understood that. But it was strong enough to provide a, a turning point. So from the last image there in 18, 1987, See what is happen what it had what had happened ten years later. And ten years later. Now we have fifty-one percent of the territory covered again by forests. Half of it is state owned, government owned, national parks, you know, forest areas, wildland, wildland protection areas, but the other half is private. And more important than that, money going from the urban to rural areas. Because what we are doing is paying a forest environmental service to the forest owners. And the country introduced a tax on fuels and took that money and paid the environmental service to the forest owners. We did this in 1997. And I'm happy to say that one of the, the agreements in Cancun may provide the opportunity for the whole tropical forest of the world to replicate this. So we have the chance now that the tropical forest from Kenya, Tanzania, to Vietnam, to Indonesia, to Papua New Guinea, to Costa Rica and Colombia would follow the same Costa Rica. <coughs> Ah. 
you know, this was a great work by the Mexicans. They, they did their own program, and Ecuador too, following some basic ideas from the Costa Rican one. They modified, they changed it, they introduced new concepts, and now it's, it's, it's a, a global concept. And this global concept will be similar to what we initially did in Costa Rica, that is this simple. You have a tree, or you have a person doing a, a, a better burning, then somebody measure it, and they will be issuing a certificate, and you go to the market, sell this certificate, take that money and pay the forest owners, or the people changing the technology, or the clean electricity, I was mentioning, or the cleaner cars, or the cleaner cement industry changing technologies. So we have these negotiations impacting the, 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 world, the, the way we behave, and the way companies behave, and the way governments be, behave. And finally, I have, well, the, 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 I have also there the the possibility that wind power and others will come. But then conflict <coughs> and innovation. We are in, a, in Central America, not an easy place to be. And my country decided 60 years ago to disarm itself. So the army is banned. In addition to that, you are geographically there. And there are issues like the aerospace industry that requires a large scale to work with. So what do you do? You are in conflict with your neighbors and you work with them at the same time. The part of the conflict, you know, this is the, the Nicaraguan army. This is the Costa Rican rented helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, these these are the maps of the two countries. You know, and the, exactly the same. The, the shape of this corner, you know, is a wetland. For us, it's a wetland. It produces services. It produces economy for tourism for rural tourism. Nicaragua decided that this nice river here is too, it has too, too, too many meandros, or it's meandering, so they wanted to straighten it. They started to drain it, straighten it, so they crushed <coughs> against the Costa Rican border, and they decided to, to keep a straight line. And you have the two maps equally showing that this is Costa Rican territory. Well, they come and they said, well, you know, we, we will eventually indemnize you. Because this is going to be very important. And this is a swamp land. I said, fine, but swamps. We use them to preserve biodiversity for tourism, for rural development. And in addition to that, 
we want the people to respect the territory. So we took them to court. Uh, we, 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 we went there last week to the International Court of Justice. So conflicts, you go to court. Or you go to the, 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 the Organization of American States. Or you go to the Security Council of the UN. That's easy to say when you are in a peaceful situation. But you have something like this. Emotions run high. So you want to have a co-diplomacy. This is a testing case. And we'll be waiting for the International Court of Justice to impart justice. And so you can imagine, you know, when the Costa Rican television show pictures like this, you know. The, 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 you know, a wetland with sediments and the army on there, or pictures like this. You know, opening, the, cutting the trees or, or building a new canal between the lagoon and, and the river. Man-made canal in a wetland. It's very hard to explain to your people that, yes, we're going to court. And this is the only way we're using the, <coughs> the international multilateral organizations. On the other hand, almost at the same time that this happened, a few weeks before, we proposed this program. And we know that only working at the regional level, something like this will work. I went to India recently to check the aerospace industry. And you know they have 7,000 engineers working. We have 40. And we're launching a plasma engine in 2013 to refuel the satellites in the outer space. So the idea is that we will be selling new fuel to all countries in the world, because that fuel will reduce CO2 emissions, will also help Costa Ricans to, to create companies and, and work, and will provide engineers of a, an incentive to study engineering and activities like that. And the country will not have the scale to go beyond the pilot phase. You know, to make it a regional or global business, you need to work at the global level. So to, to, uh, to the Salvadorian ambassador, we will be launching the idea in Salvador with the business community there and, and the universities, and they were really interested. And as we speak, my former students at INCAI will be presenting the feasibility study for the regional project. But you, know, you have to decide. Or this other one is connected with the previous. The younger engineers decided that in addition to that, they will start launching meteorological balloons to sell services to the aerospace industry. So for the first time, they designed something that instead of having to, to go running all around the territory searching for the meteorological balloon, now when it is you know, moving up, it is sending radio signals and pictures to a camera. And now you know, they have nice 
Costa Rican pictures from you know the, the, the process of of flying to the Amazon. And these are Central American young engineers. And, and cooperated. They are calling Daedalus the, the, the for the you know the Greek uh, myth. And they hope to do the first Central American meteorological satellite a few years from now. Only because the aerospace program inspired them that they could develop something like this. Now the interesting thing in, in, in honor of, of Stuart here is that the main discussion with India when I visited them was cooperation to train engineers in aerospace industry. They were a bit shocked, I have to say. That, you know, that was the main topic of the, of the meeting. And also, we invited them to <coughs> see the, the, you know, the process of the plasma engine and how we're going to launch that in 2013, you know, the cost, how the, the, the profits look like. And so there is a, an interesting new, new, new set of opportunities between Central America and, and India. So my summary will be the following. We're witnessing what I think is an evolution in international diplomacy. We are evolving from economic globalization to environmental interdependency. In economic globalization, size matter, and that was the main thing, force matter. In environmental interdependency, we all matter. There is no small <coughs> or big. Of course, you have different weights, but now it's in interdependency. Nobody knows what is going to happen if uh, tropical species disappear for the next cure of the next illness. Up there in New York, they never experienced malaria. Now it's reaching that level. We are also evolving from politicians' short-term cycle to environmental long-term impacts and remedies. Could you ask a politician with a lifespan of four years to take decisions for the next hundred years? You know, I would rather, rather say, well, you know, uh, I, I give the future citizens the right to decide by themselves. But the problem is that unless we decide today, <coughs> the impact will, will, you know, will exacerbate the problems we're facing today or the future. There's a time lag of 100 years or 150 years, especially in terms of CO2 uh, warming, warming potential. We will need more, not less, negotiations and multilateral agreements, even in times of financial crisis and regional or local conflicts. That's, that's really tough to do. You know, it's, it's very hard, it, it, especially when, when you think you are discussing your economic life for the next decades. You know, President Bush says, said once, former President Bush, thank God. 
he once said, America could not afford mitigation of climate change. That will reduce competitiveness. Then President Putin immediately said the same. Until the, the Russian scientists told him that he was looking like President Bush. <laughs> <laughs> so he decided to you know, ratify the, 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 the climate change convention. And also, it's very important to, to realize that this, I mean, we live in a greenish fishbowl. I can give you two examples. BP already, of course. But in Costa Rica, there was a decision of a small group of NGOs to stop a mining, mining project in Costa Rica. They challenged it in the courts. They suffered. They did much. You know, uh, sometimes we like them. Sometimes we hate them. When the court decided that the project was not well process, the value of shares fell down. Not in Costa Rica, but in the whole country. Affecting not the project, but the whole corporation. It happened to be P2. And it was not the project in the US. It was the whole corporation. So I think we're facing a new world. We're facing a new situation. Thank you very much. China began a relationship in 2007, um, and as we all know, China is a, a large uh, environmental problem at the moment. 
What is Costa Rica doing with its new relationship to assist China um, with the issues that it has? Um, I think the, the climate change negotiation is it was safe from a total failure in Cancun. You know, we sometimes somehow solve the the, the, the the fair criticism about secrecy and lack of commitments, and we are just beginning to to have some hope again. So you are right; we are just walking, not ready to run yet. But uh, again, walking. That's, that's the good news. I hope that South Africa will be a step forward. But my, my recommendation would be to implement more and talk less. And so we have the possibility to do, to do it now with the current agreements. We don't need more agreements. We need to implement some of the actions. Uh, the Ecuadorian project, I have to say that I love it, but it's too far in, in too far away. Actually, it is it's too it's forward thinking too far. Meaning by that, nobody will pay Ecuador to keep the oil in the ground. Nobody will pay the opportunity cost of the forest. The, the, the project I show you, you know, and the one I want to replicate in the world, is ignoring the opportunity cost. It's only giving some incentive, similar to other activities, less less profitable than oil, like, like carbon mining or something like that. You know, it's not provided equally. It's, it's far, far ahead of the, of the pack. Uh, hopefully, the world will recognize that, but I don't see it happening very soon. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, but uh, I think it's a very visionary. It took us 15 years to go from the Costa Rican Foreign Environmental Service payments with a local tax to a global situation and, and is not Costa Rica the one that will benefit the most now. You know, it's, we're preaching with example. They will say, thank you, you know, you are a good citizen. That's it. Uh, so I, I'm afraid that Ecuador will need to fine tune a little bit better there. The project is a great initiative, but I don't see it uh, replicated or have been successful. In the Costa Rica Ch China, uh, we, we we're playing a role. I mean, this, this is only a three-year-old uh, relationship. We, I personally had meetings with all the relevant Chinese leaders before Cancun. We encouraged them to play, uh, a, 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 I would say, a larger role, <coughs> to be a, a leader, especially in the defense of the, of the small island states that I think ethically are the ones really, really, you know, uh, that, that we should prioritize them because they are fighting for their survivability, not, not the way of life. You know. and, and, uh, I expect China to, to do more, uh, especially because they do the reverse. They act first and then talk later. And, you know, I, I, and I went and, and see some of the projects they are already doing in mass transportation. Uh, and, you know, they have large, large deposits of, of coal, you know, as large as the US or India. But they are already switching as much as they can from coal to renewable sources, including nuclear. You know, is that for the better or, or the worse? I, I, I have not studied enough the nuclear uh, field, you know, but they, they had the lobby in Cancun saying this is renewable, clean, and cheaper. Let me leave it there. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> 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 
to you next time. Mr. Castro, I have a question regarding Costa Rica's international policies. Where, where are you? Sorry, I don't, I don't see you. Uh, sorry. Okay, yes. Just give me a name if you could. Sebastian, I'm uh, a student here at LSE from Costa Rica. Okay. Sometimes it seems that Costa Rica has a very hypocritical uh, relationship with, with the other countries. For example, we are, dealing current, we are currently dealing with China, but on the other side, we talk about human rights. And then we have a stadium built by Chinese people in Costa Rica without respecting, well, basic labor rights. Or, or then again, we are dealing with, well, China. And on the other side, we talk about equal diplomacy and we talk about politicism when everybody knows that China is doing a big job in, 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 in the contamination aspect of the world. So what is your opinion about that? Uh, I'm a student here at the LSE as well. Um, with reference to the to the case um, with with Nicaragua that you mentioned, and and this need for for more uh, multi multilateral agreements in environmental law, I was just wondering, would you see an international court for the environment to be able to address this uh, this case, this conflict with Nicaragua, as well as potentially harmonize the existing and the future? future uh, multi multilateral agreements that we have. Gentleman in the white shirt, he was next. Then we'll come to you and then I'll distinguish front rider. <coughs> my name is Petrus, I'm a student here at the LSC. I'm from Brazil. My question is, you mentioned that the opportunity cost you're paying uh, with the ecosystem service payments is, is equal to low profit activities such as capital ranging. Now, any piece of land in a development process is supposed to increase its opportunity cost from cattle ranching to industry and so on and so forth. Uh, don't, you see, don't you think that in that sense, uh, a system of paying for ecosystem services that only pays the low profit uh, uh, opportunity cost is, acts uh, as sort of a blocking to development, as a barrier to development? Well, in, in the case of the Costa Rican-Chinese relationship, it's brand new, but I have to say that we, we are careful not to try to impose the Costa Rican <laughs> standards to anybody else. You know, if we will do that, first of all, the world will be a mess. Because you know, in Costa Rica, there is, no, there is no hierarchy, for example. Uh, it's very hard to, to, to implement things because Everybody will feel will feel allowed to discuss the order of his boss or her boss. And it works well for Costa Rica, but it's a small country, you know, four million or so, four million point, point five. Secondly, we don't have an army. Every every time I talk about that, people look at me like, like what is this crazy guy saying? And just to give you an idea, a few days back, I mentioned in an interview or podcast like this that, that Costa Rica should reconsider the border police. The border police. And I said it, it should have some defense capabilities and zero attack capabilities. I receive, I don't know how many hundreds of hate mails and discussions and things like that because I was already militarizing the, 
the, the country. So the point is, somehow, the, in, in many issues, for example, we decided to ban open pit mining, to ban open pit, pit mining, including gold, or to ban oil exploration, to ban it, right? So these issues are too limited to the Costa Rican idiosyncrasy, whatever it is. The word. <laughs> so uh, on the other hand, we try to convince by by example, and I think that's uh, a way we, we can we can do. Um, the International Court for the Environment. Well, it will have very few parties, <laughs> I, I bet, you know, very few parties, less than the 24 that started the, the Ozone Convention. But if, if as we expect, expect, we succeed in the International Court of Justice, this would be a precedent that the environment is important for the International Court of Justice to order provisional measures to, you know, countries in, in conflict. And the low-cost activities, yes, that, that will, the idea is that these activities will, will compete with those economic activities at the bottom. So they will replace the activities producing less to the economy, because otherwise the, the farmer or the landlord will not switch. I mean, this is a voluntary scheme. You offer them to, to pay them some money, and they, of course, you know, the farmers around the world are very smart. They, they will compare, you know, how much money they are getting for the cow and the milk or the meat and how much money you are offering them for, the, for environmental services. If it is a good business for them, they will switch. If it is not, they will, you know, tell you thank you. No, thank you. So they will be, we will be switching the, the, the low profit activities, you know, the ones producing less less eco economic sources to provide better wages and better standard, standard of living of the population. In my country, that would be cattle ranching. You know, export-oriented crops use 2% of the territory. Cattle ranching use around 25% of the territory. And this is very low uh, in terms of profit. Good evening, my name is Tania Dimitrova. I'm a student at Queen Mary University. Thank you for an inspirational talk. My question is, um, can you please comment on your eco-diplomacy relationships with, uh, with the US? Thank you. We're going to take three on the front row, excluding the Costa Rica Good evening, my name is Claudia from Chile. In order to achieve the, the challenges that you present as a conclusion, in especially the third, the third one, uh, do you think that could be better to talk in terms about uh, conservation and development instead ecology? I think that is a good term, good concept, uh, makes more sense of both companies and government. Thank you, Minister, for, for your talk. Um, just a uh, very specific question. A few um, months ago, we have um, a Brazilian delegation visiting here in London, and then I guess they were coming from Washington, and then mm -hmm. they moved on to Brussels, and then to Tokyo, and they were 
specifically talking about the benefits of ethanol biofuels. Um, and of course, you know, you know that this is a very controversial issue, not only here in Europe uh, as an alternative or uh, as a renewable uh, source, but also in, in, let's say, in Latin America, specifically in, in Central America. We have, as El Salvador, a co-production project with the Brazilians, you know, but you know, our target is, is the developed market of the U.S. But increasingly, this um, alternative is being seen perhaps as, as something that we should be looking into at the local level and at the regional level in Central America. So I just want your opinion on how this is laid out. Sorry, I get to put this question. Uh, Minister, thanks so much. My name is Hidrette Lagas. I'm uh, the ambassador from Taiwan. And uh, I just uh, I, I actually wanted to ask you something on the diplomacy part, mm-hmm. as opposed to the eco part. Um, if, if we talk, if we paraphrase Klaus Wix's eco diplomacy is basically being an extension of diplomacy in other ways, I would put it alongside things like religious diplomacy or some other elements, other facets of doing it. Um, the world is becoming more and more and more complex. As we move through the transition of economies to more eco sources of energy, for example, just the sources you've said, I see conflicts arising with human rights in certain areas. Um, I see uh, courts becoming more involved, so we can change. Many of the arguments that you'll you probably be raising at ICJ will have uh, similar veins with human rights and self-determination of peoples and so forth and so on. I understand, coming from another country that has uh, lost its army, um, I understand the fact that the fishbowl actually is your army now. Um, the, the media becomes another part of your army. That's a fragile ally. And in this very complex issue of evolving values that we're going to find as we transition, how countries run, I'm sorry to make this so very long, the, 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 the concept is how do we have eco-diplomacy work with so many other interests, and I'm particularly concerned about human rights, which become very, uh, which, which touch on the transition of commons, which has to happen. So we get Thank you. Okay. Uh, with the U.S., with the U.S., we have a good relationship mainly in the conservation areas, less so in, in terms of this kind of multilateral negotiation. Uh, for example, they, they are not members of the Biodiversity Convention, and they are not members of the Kyoto Protocol. And uh, you know, the, the, the determinant struggle is, is, is very high there. Uh, in the case of biodiversity, because they don't want to pay for for the rights of original species that now being domesticated, we have to pay a royalty or something like that. And they were scared that somebody will claim all the species backward, you know, potatoes and others. Yeah. So Ecuador will, will be rich, you know, with potatoes and, and corn, original species, but uh, so it, we work better in terms of conservation than, than in terms of, of uh, future uh, agreements. In, in, in the question of the, the Chilean representative, uh, 
in Korea, they are, they are calling it now green growth, because the idea is, you know, green, but growth. We prefer the term, the sustainable development term, because it combines the three, the social, the ecology, and the economy. I, and I think it's, it's, it's also clear and, uh, and well-balanced. We, we don't like the idea of the, 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 the name of ecology, because, because sometimes some groups see, see the, the, for example, the, the tropical forest or Galapagos more like, like, like it should be a zoo, you know, instead of something where you can collect part of your income and, and your opportunities for development, and, and we don't agree with that. We're still in the process of development, and we use the forest not to extract things, but to look for new medicines and new, new food, new products, new cosmetics, things like that. In the case of ethanol, I think the, the, equation, the, the question is, I mean, this, this was the first generation of ethanol. And I think, you know, this conflict with food, uh, countries the size of Brazil, they, they, they have the luxury of, you know, combining them both. But in our case, we are experiencing, experiencing with the second generation of, of biofuels. And, and for example, there is, there is a, 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 a pat patented uh, research on the termites. You know, the, the termites, you know, they have a very particular tummy. They are able to digest almost every kind of biomass, and they turn it into a very efficient ways of alternative fuel. So now we want to look for those kind of op options. This is biotechnology or bio, using the biodiversity in a sustainable way. And so instead of using the, the, the land as a primary resource or the, or the sugar cane and things like that, now you use all the biomass, the waste, you know, you provide and, and replicate the, the termites process and then use that to, to produce some sort of cellulose that is more efficient in terms of energy, but you know, it's still in the process of, of, of development. And, and I, I agree that with, with the Panamanian ambassador, that, that is going to be something interesting. For example, uh, I think when you were talking about that, I had in mind the new hydroelectric plants, both in Costa Rica and Panama, that will use territory, almost uninhabited, by indigenous communities. And those communities will claim that they have sacred land and sacred cemeteries there. They don't want us to inundate their land, even, by, even giving them new houses or new opportunities, new land. And, you know, they said, well, no, no, you don't understand. Here are my ancestors, and we don't want, we don't want to bargain with that. So that is going to be a, a, a problem, but uh, you know, I see, I, I already studied some examples from in Canada, good and bad, about you know, traditional rights and indigenous negotiations. But yes, going back to my funnel analogy, this is exactly what you are also mentioning, you know, where it's going scarce of, of land and, 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 and resources. Um, water would be a, a major problem. You know, you are going to do the water for for what? For agriculture or for golf courses? For golf courses or for drinking water? 
uh, or drinking water or shower water, etc., etc., etc. For example, these these bottles of water that you are having there, they cost around four thousand times more than the pipe water we are receiving today, because the pipe water we are not paying nothing but the transportation costs. We are not paying anything for the preservation of the aquifer or the recovery or the management of that aquifer. Whereas if you are doing it commercially, yes you do. So it costs 4,000 times <coughs> more than, than the pipeline water. So what, what shall we do? The, the thing is, as I put it there, we need more negotiations. Do we have the time and, 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 and the hope and the money well, but I think that any other alternative is more costly and expensive than the ones we are suggesting here. Well, thank you. One last one. Brady's had a very long day. I know the gentleman in the Aston Villa kit will probably Sorry, I'll be trying my own. I'll find it. Then we'll take it. I'm Martin. I'm Stuart at LSE. Thanks for your talk. I've actually got two questions. The first relates to if this project of Costa Rica being with our army, being a forerider of the environmental issues, is that a project of political elite of the country, or in how far is that spirit shared and supported by the population? And uh, the second question relates to one of the agreements reached at Cancun about the pro uh, rights to benefit from biodiversity and genetic resources. In how far does this apply to Costa Rica, or what's the impact? On Costa Rica. Okay, we can only take two more. There's a guy right yes. at the back with a beard, and then you'll take the lady behind. I'm sorry. Please. My name is Jose. I'm a student at the UCL. Uh, I'm from Mexico, and I have just a very simple question regarding uh, the potential of exporting energy to Mexico. What are the assumptions that you are making, and what's the size of the opportunity? Just pass it to the lady behind you. Thank you. Hello, sir. I'm Marguerite, and I'm studying uh, at the LSE also. Uh, I had a question concerning companies, because you were talking about uh, also companies uh, in your first slides. I was wondering, uh, do you think that companies have the incentives to invest into, into uh, sustainability, and most of all, to make business out of sustainability? We'll just have to stop it. I'm sorry. Foreign Minister's got other commitments afterwards. Sure, let's go there. Thank you. Uh, well, the, 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 as I mentioned, you know, as soon as somebody considered that, I, I confuse the the you know, the border police with the army. I I, I receive a hundred, uh, you know. Uh, uh, I, was a, I said hate mail, but it was more than that. <laughs> but 4% uh, of the Costa Ricans will not agree of the idea of not having an And in times of challenge, like the one we are facing, it has increased up to 7. So it, it goes from 4 to 7. You know, it's in, in, in Panama it's growing, the, the sense of Popularity of not having an army, but you know it's more recent. In normal case, we have 60 years. Panama is what 10? Uh, 20. 20 years. Yeah. And Panama is, is moving. You know, for the first time, <coughs> more than 50 percent of the population are 
supporting them, you know, having an army. And it started as proposal of the leaders, and then it became more popular. In the case of Costa Rica, because we took the money for health and education, and so people know that. Uh, biodiversity is protected in Cancun. Well, we say somehow, but it's, it's not enough interconvention negotiations, you know. Uh, so it, it will take a while. Uh, but for the first time in Cancun, I saw more uh, foreign affairs ministers and finance ministers than environmental ministers. And being in the two sides, so I, I can see the, 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 the change. And whereas in the biodiversity, it's mainly environment ministers that still go there. Uh, in, in, in Mexico, well, whatever we can sell to Mexico, Mexico could reduce it from their matrix and send it to the US. So it's a win-win possibility. You know, if, if we can sell, say, uh, you know, 2,000 megawatts of its tank capacity, which would be, you know, probably $4 billion of investment or something like that, you know, or, or even twice as much, <coughs> Mexico could reduce that from, the ma from their matrix and send it to the US, which is energy thirsty. And whatever you offer them, they consume. Sorry about electricity. Companies making business. Well, uh, I, I I visited today with the Costa Rican ambassador here present the idea of being the first country in selling coffee, pineapple, and bananas CO2 neutral. <coughs> and meaning by that that they will either compensate, reduce fertilization, do more efficient use of energy and transportation, and pay whatever extra they have to in order to compensate the, the CO2 from the from the, the the farm to the supermarket, and they were a bit surprised at, at, at today at the ministry here that I said the cost would be between two and three cents per pineapple, and they said that's nothing. I said yeah, but they are not willing to pay it. two or three cents additional uh, price. I mean the price for the compensation. With that money, that would be a good profit, yes. Because I think we will be on the other side of the funnel and will make it more difficult we'll make it more difficult for other competitors to reach that level of neutrality. We'll distinguish your brand, you know, will will allow you to to, to introduce an additional com competitiveness and you know and I have to confess that when we teach at, the, at an MBA school, you know, we tell them that you should be profitable, you should be competitive. And then, you know, an old professor came and, and told the guys, hey, don't listen to René Catholic. He's, he's too great. What we want to do is to be a monopoly again. Controlling <laughs> 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 the market. Well, at the end, this is true. If you have a competitive advantage, you are in, in a monopoly position in terms of the company. And you will be ahead of the, of the pack. And this is, this is part of it. If you allow me, I, I, will, I will ask the, 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 you know, the Costa Rican ambassador here 
that you know to, to tell you two lines about what we plan to do with this idea of the CO, CO2 neutrality in the agribusiness products and what we are presenting to the UK uh, you know what
products have the fair trade seal or stamp, which actually has to do with labor practices, then do the same with the environment. So you would have both. And that is something that we're doing in these two. Why pineapples and bananas? Because they are our largest you know, um, product <coughs> in terms of agricultural exports. So that, that's why.